welcome to the Hell Project podcast. This is where I share all of the results of the research and reading that I've done on the doctrine of hell over the last few years. Uh, I defend the view that uh, without Jesus, we are all dead. Uh, This is the view called conditionalism, and I believe there's better news in it than the traditional understanding of hell. And I try to defend that here. The audio quality may not be that high as it's taken off my YouTube channel and unfortunately some of the streams do have technical glitches but I hope that you stick with it and uh, do let me know what you think, share, uh, get involved through Twitter or even comment on my YouTube channel. I look forward to hearing back from you. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another video from The Hell Project. This is a channel all about the doctrine of hell and what Christians uh, do and do not believe, responding to both uh, traditional, controversial and uh, conditional immortality viewpoints uh, to see which one holds the best view from scripture. And it's a pleasure today to have uh, JT or John Tancock, also known as JT, um, I've met him through the UK Apologetics uh, site on Facebook and um, came, became aware of his view of health through the Rethinking Hell conference in 2016 and uh, recently got in touch and he's uh, very kindly joined me uh, today and uh, I'll let him introduce himself and tell you a bit about him and his story and then gradually this conversation will shift into uh, the view of hell and then also how it plays into evangelism and how Christians share their faith uh, and we'll hopefully have very few technical issues but we'll, we'll see. Uh, hopefully this will go as smoothly um, or more smoothly than some of my other interviews have been in the last few weeks. So uh, if you have questions in the live chat, feel free to put them in there and let us know that you're watching. And um, hello if this is your first time to The Hell Project. I hope that you find this conversation helpful. So uh, JT, welcome and well, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And uh, do you, just while I'm testing sound and making sure the technical issues are pretty smooth, do you want to just um, say a little bit about your story? How did you become a Christian? Um and when you've sort of finished that story, <laughs> I'll then ask the next question and I'll let you know at any point if the sound is or is not working. All right. OK. OK. Um, well, um, I I was born in a pub. That's where it all starts, really. Oh, thanks for, thanks for having me. And I had a pretty bust up and, uh, sort of background. My um, There was a lot of violence sort of and alcohol. Um, my parents divorced, very acrimonious divorce. I was shuttled back and forth. Then my father died when I was 11. But... And, when I when my father remarried when I was six, my mum, my new mum, um, said you should be going to Sunday school, John. So I went to Sunday Sunday school with Gaynor down the road to a little brethren gospel hall called Bethany Evangelistic Chapel, and my uh, if you like journey to faith really started then. So I'm very thankful to the middle aged guys that started this gospel hall in the middle of a council estate in Swansea. Uh, they invited me to um, to a camp when I was 11 and uh, when I was 12. 
when I was 12. My father died at 11, and at 12 I went to this camp, and I professed faith uh, in, in Christ. I've got, I have to say, though, there was a chap called Brian Davis who was my Sunday school teacher. He was he was very conscientious. He was very diligent, and he chased me if I missed. My attendances were very, very good, but he always came to the house checking I was okay. So I have to thank him for, in part, for my involvement then. And when I went to um, uh, the camp, it was a, I, I suppose you could say I was in the process of becoming a Christian before I went there. But uh, I professed faith then, uh, so that was 12. I got baptized in water uh, when I was 13. And I owe a lot to a guy called Danny James, who you have to say discipled me. I remember I used to ask really tough questions. So I asked, I said to him, what does begotten mean, Danny? And I must have been 13 or 14. And in those days, you couldn't you know, give someone a YouTube article or whatever, a link to a website. He wrote out, I cannot believe it, he wrote out longhand pages of W.E. Vine's expository dictionary of Greek words for me. Blesses heart. That's what I say. And he did lots of really helpful things like that. And I, you know, my brethren background, I have to thank for respect for the scriptures, uh, even though much of what I now believe wasn't what I was taught, including the issue that we're discussing now. Um, it taught me what to do. And in the next section, something that a brethren speaker said led me on a journey about hell and the fate of the lost, which was uh, quite a big journey. <laughs> it is. It is a big journey. And, uh, yeah, it took me quite a few years to to shift from what I'd been taught and grown yeah. up with and, and assumed. Um, and so, well, let, let's, let's hear a little bit about that story then. So you've become a Christian, you've grown up a little bit, or how how soon after okay. profession of faith All right. did you Imagine start the to scene. make that shift? Imagine the scene. Summer's evening, Sunday night, um, and a different Mr. Davis is preaching in what we used to call the gospel meeting, which was designed for non-Christians to come to, but they hardly ever came. All right? So there he was. And I remember I remember him saying, we should preach hell like the first Christians preached hell. And then we would see people becoming Christians like the first Christians saw them come into faith. So in my 17-year-old mind, I thought, well, how do you do that? How do I check if that is right? And I, I remember thinking, and I thought, I know what I have to do. There's a book of the Bible, the book of Acts, which contains all the first messages of the first Christians to those who were outside the faith. So I thought, that's what I'll do. I'm going to read all the messages in the book of Acts and find out what they said about hell and other things as well. So, you know, it was that that, that had been taught to me, isn't it? So, so I started when I was 18 then, late 17, early 18, I, I began to study the, uh, the charismatic proclamations, or to put it a different way, the gospel messages in the book of Acts. And uh, it was everything from who was the speaker, who were they speaking to, what was the context, background, what were the results of what was said, but most importantly, what was the content. 
So I, I did that study and um, I learned an enormous amount and I've returned to that study at least five or six times uh, since I was 18 and as people can see I'm about 25 now and the uh, don't laugh please thank you very much <laughs> I'm going to try not to laugh I actually muted myself there to uh, remain polite yeah yeah that's good that's good that's good so um uh, what I discovered mainly about, about the issue of how was that the strongest that the apostles came to talking about hell is found in Acts 17 verse 31. God has set a day when he will judge the world with fairness or justice um, through the man that he has chosen and he has given proof of this by raising him from the dead. So the fact that God will judge the world and it's going to be with justice and fairness, that's what I learned is the strongest that the apostles got when communicating the gospel about hell. So the idea that somehow preaching hellfire um, and all those sorts of things would, would be what the apostles taught, to be blunt, is wrong. And that even at 18, even though I hadn't changed my view about you know hell and eternal conscious torment, which is what I was taught at the time, um, I, I modified how I communicated the gospel, not to go soft. Some people would say, oh, JT, you've gone soft because you don't believe in hell anymore. Well, I do believe in hell, but um, there are other aspects of what I discovered about the gospel, which are harder, to be honest. And I don't want to get off point here. You'll have to pull me back in here, Phil, right? Yeah, no problem. Um, to, to be honest, the way the gospel is communicated is, is pretty basic and not full. So you often have um, a guy walking in. I know one guy who did this, walks into a shop and says, um, uh, do you want to live forever? Who's going to say no? Um, do you want to go to heaven when you die? Who's going to say no? Repeat after me this prayer. And then he would, he would do a, a so-called sinner's prayer. People would repeat it and then he'd come back and boast about, you know, the 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 people who'd become Christians that day. Load of rubbish. That's not gospel. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, all right, it is. I don't have to talk about eternal conscious torment, but who does anyway? But I, I, I do believe strongly that to become a Christian, you have to repent. I talk strongly about that. Um, you have to believe, you have to be baptized. I believe a normal Christian birth includes baptism in the spirit as well. So uh, the, the fact that I don't have to preach eternal conscious torment, all right, it's, it is a benefit, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. Um, yeah. But there are other aspects of the gospel which arise from my study when I was 18, which means that my gospel message is actually stronger than most people's. I think that's really important. It's something that I've found in my own uh, journey with conditionism that is not only um, more clear about the consequence of sin it's more clear with what Jesus has actually done for us and it's um, yeah very much emphasizing the repentance and the almost everything else is traditional and yeah, yeah. Uh, orthodox the only thing that has changed is the final outcome and what second death is and yeah. but that's really really important and that's changed the language that i use i no longer have to qualify what death i'm talking about 
I, I do have to qualify mostly for other Christians that I do believe in judgment and, and the resurrection. That's obviously yeah. to make sure that they don't accuse me of being a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. But the the main thing is actually that I've become more clear about what Christ has done and the free and the hope uh, of new creation as well has, has become yeah, yeah, more, yeah. more clear. Uh, I find I find that all that all that really interesting, and it's something that I've noticed as well in Acts. And we we do often, uh, as conditionists, look to the beginning of Acts, where it says you've killed the author of life. Um, that's what that's what happened. Is, is Christ died for us, and that language is really really important when we think about the punishment that He's taken for Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Um, so as we kind of before we go into talking about hell with uh, non Christians in terms of evangelism and sharing our faith. Mm. What consequences have you found from having this view of hell? With uh, well, what's it done for your own faith? You've hinted a little bit at that, but also, what has it done with regards to relationships with other Christians? Okay, that's interesting. Um, um, can I just, for the sake of people who might be wanting to know, say mm. very briefly? What were the main things that eventually caused me to change my view? Yeah, actually, yes, <laughs> we haven't finished that story. Let's yeah, yeah. let's 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 um, hear that story. So it's acts, and then and then the next, the next stage. Once once I realised that that burning in hell wasn't part of the gospel message that the first Christians used. Uh, all right, I changed the way I did that, but I still believed that that hell was eternal conscious torment. So. And from the age of 18, right the way through till I was 35, I, because because I worked a lot with cults, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, etc., um, much of my faith in the early years was to do with defending the faith against these people. So I was I was like a city with a very big, strong wall, but there wasn't much inside it, if you know what I mean. So I had these bastions which I held on to, and one of them was this idea of hell being eternal conscious torment. But then, as I, I, I occasionally went back to passages in Acts, and I began to widen my study. But then, in 1988, when I was 31, uh, I came across a book, uh, with John Stott in discussion with David Edwards, who's a liberal scholar, and John Stott, who is like a was an evangelical statesman, you know, one of the most highly and widely respected leaders, suddenly comes out with the fact that he didn't believe in eternal conscious torment in hell. You what? And I remember reading this again and again and again. And behind me, the book is on my bookshelf from 1988, right? And um, so. I pondered what he said. And then I came across um, some writings by Roger Forster, who founded and still leads the Ichthus Group of Churches in London and elsewhere. And I came across some photocopies, you know, the ones that are all wonky and faded and you can barely read them, written by him about hell. And it was like all of a sudden I had permission to um, believe uh, what I what the scriptures actually taught, um, because I I knew then other Christians were also in that position. So for me, the the, re, the, the key biblical reasons why I, I changed my belief were firstly the absolute weakness of the evidence for eternal conscious torment. To boil it all down, it's two verses in Revelation, 
And if you really pressed me, it's only one verse in Revelation. That's all. This enormous doctrine, this massive thing which you get in the evangelical world about hell and hell and hell is down to a verse. Um, then the idea of, uh, there were myths, you know, the myth, one myth was we all live forever. But is it going to be in heaven or is it going to be in hell? Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine anything more unbiblical than that. Life forever is something that is given to those who put their faith in Jesus. It's, it's immortality, you live forever, but it's conditional on faith in Jesus. Plain as a nose on your face in the Bible, it really is. So um, I, I remember asking, I, remember, I got a book, Lorraine Burtner, uh, which is all, immortality it's called, and it's all about... Uh, life after death and stuff like that. And he starts off by saying, I won't go into proving immortality of the soul because that is self-evident. In other words, he didn't provide any evidence. And I've asked quite a few people, right? I've asked quite a few people. I mean, Burton is a very big Calvinist scholar, was anyway. I've asked quite a lot of people, so give me the evidence for immortality of the soul. No one has ever been able yeah. to do None of the books I've been able yeah. to read have made any convincing case at all. And then there were the the evidence within Scripture for, um, I think that one of the best descriptions is terminal punishment. Where That's um, used by Preston Sprinkle and uh, someone else who, who coined that. I can't remember. You are who. clever, you are. Yeah. <laughs> by a few people and yeah. the fact that the fact that because what we believe is that there will be there'll be justice there will be punishment but that punishment will be different for different people that's the, the glory and the wonder of this particular view you can build in uh the sense just as jesus talks about different punishments for different people whereas with eternal conscious torment you can think of little Billy when he was 15, nicked some sweets from the shop. He's going to end up in hell if he doesn't repent. And then Adolf Hitler. They all they all end up with the same punishment. That's just mad. So anyway, but the, the arguments for what we believe, um, number one, it's not in the gospel. That's as we've seen. Um, the language of destruction. So you say to someone, what does destroy mean? Um, it means to destroy. That's right. There we are. John 3.16, you know, God's loved the world. He gave us uh, one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not live forever in hell. No. Should not perish. What's that mean? Well, you perish. That's right. Uh, and it's contrasted with um, having everlasting life. Then there's the language of, of death. And destruction. So you, if you read 2 Thessalonians 1, if if you're a universalist and believe God's going to get everybody saved, you're going to have to cut 2 Thessalonians 1 out of your Bible. And if you're an eternal conscious torment person, don't read it because you get upset. Because it talks about everlasting destruction. Destruction, not destroying. Because eternal conscious torment is everlasting destroying. You never actually destroy it. But it's everlasting destruction. Destroyed, never coming back. On that, on that note, yeah, the 2 Thessalonians 1.9, it's really interesting. There's a, 
rethinking how I've done a series responding to um, Stan to Reasons Ministry when they did a, a series of articles on yeah, yeah. Um, on hell called Hell Interrupted and uh, one of the guys William Tanksley makes this really interesting comment that through 2 Thessalonians 1 9 the whole uh, sort of stage of events is that God is getting closer and closer and closer his judgment is coming it's on the way and then suddenly if um if the traditional view is correct suddenly he's away he suddenly distanced himself so his judgment's yeah, yeah. coming and then suddenly you've separated yourself from god but that it, the flow of thought from uh that that verse shows yeah, yeah. that judgment is coming in a fury of fire and that's uh, from the presence of lord the lord not uh away from his presence which unfortunately so many translations stick that away from and I find fascinating on a translation point of view. I'm still learning translations, obviously, and uh, still working on that side of things. But I find it interesting they don't put away from on the second time that, that word comes up in the verse. So you've got from the presence of from the presence of God, or from God, and then from the glory of His might. There's right, two yeah, apos yeah. in that, and one has away from, and one doesn't for some reason in the in the NIV. So I've I've always found that one fascinating that the traditional view is kind of translated into that uh yeah. text as well. On on the issue of translation though, that was one of the other reasons um which w were part of me changing from eternal conscious torment. Um the in the brethren we were encouraged to read the King James version and in hell doesn't appear in the Old Testament, um, but in the King James Version, it appears loads of times because they mistranslate the word Sheol, which is not hell, it's the place of the dead. The New Testament parallel for uh, the Old Testament Sheol is Hades, and lots of translations, not only the King James Version, even my beloved New International Version, mistranslated the word Hades. So in, in the 1984 version, you know the story of the rich man and Lazarus? In Luke 16, and it talks about he, he lifted up his eyes being in hell. Well, look at the footnote, because it says Hades, not hell. They are different yep. places. Yep. So... Um, that passage is not talking about punishment in hell because in Revelation 20 it talks about death and Hades being cast into the lake of fire, which is, of course, hell. So the, the, the fact that the whether it was done deliberately or by accident, this mistranslation, it gave a completely wrong impression. And some people are shocked that when they look at, you know, um, more scholarly modern translations that it doesn't support what they've been told yeah ab absolutely with the uh, various different translations I, I kind of interrupted your flow there sorry so you, you've got the weight of scripture you're coming through so you got into Thessalonians were there yeah. others that you were wanting to raise in that uh, flow? Well, on, like in the list I gave I would encourage people to look up words like destroy perish death in relation to the judgment of God. There's, there's really good. Two, Thess two Thessalonians 1 is a great passage to read. And then you've got um, some of the heavy words of Jesus. He mentions Gehenna more than anybody else. Gehenna is hell. And famous one is Matthew 10, 25, 10, 28. Um, don't fear those who can uh, kill the body. 
but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in Gehenna. And uh, once again, it's not torment. Like, it's amazing. I've heard evangelists talk about God. God will um, renew your flesh so we can burn forever. So you know, it's, it's the idea of uh, the idea of fire is that it burns, it destroys. Because they have to believe in immortality of the soul, they, they have to reinvent this crazy idea that flesh keeps appearing on the body to be burned. It is yeah, yeah. horrendous. It and is, I, yeah. I've got to tell you, I, there was a, an evangelist I talked to once, and I told him my view on hell, and he went, to, to quote the academic phrase, he went um, <clears throat> ballistic on me, and he... He he was saying, what? Hell is everywhere in the New Testament. Everywhere. I said, where? He said, all over the book of Acts when they were preaching the gospel. I said, there's my Bible. I almost said his name then. I said, there's my Bible. Go and have a read. He said, well, never mind about that, but Paul talks about hell all the time. All the time. I said, where? He doesn't mention hell at all. So all of 13 letters of... of uh, Paul, plus the book of Acts, don't mention hell. Um, Peter doesn't mention the word Gehenna. Um, neither does John in the three letters. Always gospel for that matter. Come on. You know, there is, there is a myth that it's yep. the big thing, but it's not. Yep. And, it's, and it's quoted so often that Jesus spoke more of hell than he did of heaven. And I, I find that so, it's peddled by so many really yeah. clever biblical scholars that just uh, it, it is frustrating how much it gets pushed without yeah. real critical thought because no. one person said it. I don't even know who the first person said it. I don't have the motivation I, to find it, out either. It but comes it's, out it's so nonsense. often. <laughs> it's just nonsense. Yeah. And, and any quick search on, I mean, when you've got the internet and you've got every single version of the Bible free on online, a simple search on any of those will show that hell... It just doesn't come up half as much as Kingdom of Heaven yeah. and uh, Kingdom of God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the, Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah. And then it's Gehenna. And what does Gehenna point to? And the background of Gehenna is to be worked into. And, and Hades is something different, completely mm. linked to Sheol. So all those things are really, really important, worth digging into. I do that on my channel. If you're interested in the language of hell, I've got a little series on Gehenna and Hades. What I haven't touched yet is Peter's use of Tartarus or Tartaru, because uh, partly I, I don't, I haven't. Uh, it's only once used, and yes. um, it is there's so many different varying views on what that actually means. But it's pointing to angels, so generally it's it's not quite on the top priority list yeah, as to what, yeah. what to do with it. Um, that's that's for another time. So can I can yeah. I just chip in as well and talk about very briefly the the the, the myths really so because it was one of the yes, reasons please. why why once i once i started discovering that the traditional view of hell didn't have much behind it i began to discover other things so for instance i was taught uh, and still today all over what you'd call fundamentalist type literature is the idea that you know the devil is in hell and he, he runs his empire, if you like, from hell. And the demons are the tormentors. Now, this this comes from Dante's Inferno. 
Not that any Protestants or evangelicals or fundamentalists would know that. That's not the language of the Bible. The, the, hell was created for the devil and his angels, not to be their uh, living room, throne room or whatever else. It was created for them to be destroyed, which is talked about in Revelation 20. And then the idea that when you die, you go to hell. I saw, um, uh, I saw um, a drama, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames, done by some good people. There was a good local church did it. But the the very premise, the basis on, on which it, it was all uh, explained was wrong, that you die and then you are allocated to go to heaven or you go to hell. Uh, that isn't the case at all. Um, if I said there is no one in hell, some people may raise their eyebrows and I would say, well, prove to me that there is. Because hell will not be occupied until the final judgment. And, and, and then you just ask yourself the question, so what does fire do? Well, you could burn your fingers on fire. But if you get cast into fire, you'll be screaming for a while, but then you are destroyed. Fire consumes. I have a chimney in my back garden. I am amazed how you can shove stuff into this little thing and it all turns to smoke. Yep, yep, absolutely. Fire yeah. destroys. It's so good. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's the image. It's the image that Jesus had when he was talking about, uh, was it Matthew 3, 18, like chaff uh, blown yeah. away with the wind and uh, fire. fire. Yeah. When fire meets chaff, it's like, it's explosive. It goes. There's nothing left. Nothing remains. No. Uh, barely even ash uh, when it's chaff. So all of that's really, I completely agree. And I, I thank you for pointing that out the the devil it doesn't have any power over any region really i mean he's obviously the the power of this age and uh that's that's this earth and we are engaged in a battle against him in this life but that's but if we cast out demons yeah the kingdom of god has come upon you absolutely we're winning <laughs> we've, we've got the power as the song goes so um that that's really good. So as you've transitioned through all of that, and I've found that as well, as you start to unpick th certain aspects, and uh, a question has come up on the um, the live chat, which we will deal with at some point, just fairly quickly, though I deal with it in more depth on my channel, is uh, how do we interpret Revelation 14 and 20 in light of this? We will, we will come to that, hopefully, if we have time. Yeah. Um, but... Just once you start looking at the way of Scripture throughout the Bible and the way the New Testament uses Old Testament examples, so you've got two Peter referencing Sodom and Gomorrah and, um, and Noah and the judgment that God pours out on people is death. And he uses these as an example of what will happen to the ungodly for the future. And so traditionists generally will use examples from the old testament and then have to kind of expand on why death means eternal torment when the bible doesn't and the new testament writers didn't and right. and so you've got all these examples of well if you ask the question and i've done a couple of seminars now which people can find on youtube of if you ask the question what does god's judgment look like not what does hell look like because if you ask what hell looks like you'll probably bring in thoughts of dante and cultural yeah. explanations into it and so I asked the question what does God's judgment look like and all the way through the Bible over and over and over again the outcome of sin the end of sin the telos of sin the 
wages, the sin is death. And that's the simplest understanding of the, yeah. the second death in Revelation 20. So there's a bit of a hint of where we're going uh, with that uh, later on. But uh, I'm really interested to get into the sort of topic of discussion today before we get into... I love I love the scriptural discussion, so maybe we'll do that another time, really dig into it, because that's what okay. I try and do on my channel. But I really wanted to unpack, because you're, you're doing stuff with apologetics and evangelism. You've run, written these un, understanding series, uh, and you've got another, is it six books to write? Yeah, well, I've been asked. I've been asked. Am I allowed, am I allowed to weave them? Yeah, yeah, please do. So, yeah. One on the gospel, whoop, 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 whoop. And each <laughs> of them has an apologetic edge. All right, so you know, um, designed to provide people with answers to questions and uh, defense of the faith. Then um, there's evangelism. So gospel and evangelism go together, and they cover uh, like similar ground. Then who Jesus is, which I suppose is the only one I think is suitable to give to non non Christians. And then the first one I wrote, which was the Trinity, because much of my life. Uh, has been working with cults and whatever, as I said, and defending the Trinity is sort of what I do in my sleep. Um, so I wrote, I wrote this, uh, which, which is, you know, I, people have said they found it really helpful. So, That's great. If people want to find those, they can find the link on the description. So um, please do have a look at those. And so the the reason I really wanted to explore this is just to see. Partly because you're a fellow Brit, a lot of people I've spoken to are in other countries, and um, I just they, wanted they to. They can't help it; they're impoverished. But one day they'll come down. I'm Welsh as well, remember? That's right. Yeah. Well, I've got, a, I think, an eighth of Welsh in me, so I, we're almost okay. right. <laughs> I'll call you Boyle. <laughs> um, so, we, what I wanted to gather from you is, is what's your experience of the church? Uh, and how they've interacted with your your view, so fellow Christians, and and, and then uh, as as we go through that, how that then has transitioned into you, how you've uh, taught other Christians um, through things like these booklets, like gospel evangelism and things yeah. like that. And then again, if we have some time, then we'll go into a little bit of how that impacts interactions with non Christians as well. So the first one is really how has this impacted your relationship with other Christians okay let me let me just remind people of the timeline for me uh, became Christian 12 uh, first stage of rethinking hell was when I was 18 uh, next stage started at 35 for a few years in my 30s I re-looked at the whole issue using people like uh, Roger Forster Michael Green etc etc um, John Stott and so I changed my belief I became what today people call conditionalist when I was 35. Now, I know I look about 30, but I am 62. So, um, but then I, I didn't tell anybody because I knew, look, I, I had other fish to fry. Um, at the time, I was leading, I was the, the lead teaching elder in a quite a large church. Um, you know, uh, people had enough um, beef with me. I was charismatic. I spoke in tongues. I believed in apostles and prophets. Hey, come on. You know, people could have a go at me at all sorts of issues. The last thing I wanted was to be, you know, squabbling about hell. So I, I kept my head down. I didn't, uh, quote, come out. Um, 
until about six or seven years ago. Uh, I kept my head down, didn't say anything. But when I when I did start to begin to tell people, some of the responses weren't good and they really weren't helpful. So uh, I, I was and am called a heretic regularly. Someone left our church a while ago accusing me of not believing in hell. No matter how many times I said I do believe in hell, I just don't believe it is eternal and conscious. Um, I know I have been deplatformed. The thing is, why don't people say? Why don't they just say, JT, look, we have an issue with the thing about hell. Or can we have a chat to you about this? But I know full well, I'll go once, never go back. Um, or some people, because much of my ministry, I'm, I'm quite rare in many of the things I teach on. And I know I, I could be quite valuable in some church situations. Um, so they've reacted negatively there. And, and I know I've been misrepresented, which, which is, that, that just isn't good to be misrepresented. But there again, there are other churches who've allowed me a platform. I remember I was, I was asked to go to speak on hell in what you could call an open brethren church. And I said, are you sure? You know what I believe, don't you? And they said, yes, please come and explain. Well, to their credit, to their credit, they just allowed me to explain. Um, so some, some of the responses from the Christian world haven't been that good. And so I'm, you know, I don't shout it from the rooftops all the time, but I'm very clearly both on my my blog, on one or two of the sort of YouTube things I've done. And, and of course, I was quite high profile when I did the 2016 um, Rethinking Hell conference in London. Hey, that got my name floating around the place. Um, but I, 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 I say to them, I said, look, it's not in the Nicene Creed, which carries more weight with Anglicans and Catholics and people like that. But the Nicene Creed is the defining document of biblical, orthodox, mainstream Christianity, and believing in hell is not part of it. And even though it talks about Jesus going to hell, it's Hades. The Greek word is Hades. It's not hell, right? Um, the, it's not in the EA, Evangelical Alliance, statement of faith. And the Evangelical Alliance represent the largest organization representing evangelicals in Britain. And they're all across the world as well. And you don't have to believe in eternal conscious torment in hell um, to agree to the EA statement of faith. And I would say the same for other groups like UCCF um, uh, and whatever. And when I when I remind people of the list through the years, I love church history. I love the first three centuries. Um, uh, Ignatius wrote a pile of letters. He was a conditionalist. Irenaeus, he was too. Some people may not know who these people are, but others would. Yep. Here's a name, here's a name, Luther. Yep. Luther was a conditionist. Calvin wasn't, but Luther was. And then, of course, a lot of the more modern names, people might know I, Howard Marshall. He wrote a theology of the New Testament. Michael Green, one of the best evangelists of the 20th century. Steve Travis, a fantastic writer on eschatological second coming type stuff. Um, John Wenham, again, uh, Wenham family, very well known. People like Ben Withington III, Edward Fudge, uh, David Powis, loads of others, you know, heavy theological brains on these people, godly people, 
uh, mainstream Christians. These these are not idiots from the corner of the road or anything. Um, uh, so, you know, I try my best to deal with some of the objections which I have from the Christian world. And um, fifth, at least 15% of the evangelical world believes what we believe. And in, if you go to the evangelical academic, theological, Bible college, lecturers, that sort of thing, the percentage is higher. I had one guy ring me who was a principal of a Bible college, and he said, John, don't tell anybody, but I'm a conditionalist. Because if, because if, because if everybody got to know, I'd lose my job. Isn't yeah. that sad? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the case for a lot of people in uh, America, particularly. I and mean, I'm I'm extraordinarily grateful to my church. So I'm actually uh, an elder. I may not look like it, um, but that's the term we use. Um, so part of a leadership team in a New Frontiers church, and I'm, I've done a leadership and theology course for two years um, and I, one of my, my first engagements in scripture I've actually got a 35 page essay on my website that basically kicked this all off and right. this whole project has kind of come out of that study and uh, I'm extraordinarily grateful that I, I haven't met the resistance a lot of people have uh, in, in fact I'm finding it hard to find the resistance <laughs> other than on YouTube uh, with comments, uh, I find that there's people who will tell me that I'm wrong, but not dig in with me and show me where, other than Revelation 20 and 14, and say, "Hey, look, this really hard yeah, verse yeah. in Revelation clearly states you're wrong." I'm like, how? How does it prove that? When there's Isaiah 34 that shows that Edom is the smoke goes up forever and ever and is completely destroyed. Yeah, yeah. And 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 other parts of Revelation 19:3 and the smoke of Babylon goes up forever and ever and it's going yeah, to be yeah. no more so the, I, I can understand that on the face of it torment forever and ever sounds like torment forever and ever but Revelation is like the most symbolic book in the Bible yeah. uh, aside from Ezekiel and Isaiah which it, and Zechariah which it quotes from oh, yeah. Daniel but the that's, that's the thing is, is that I want to dig in with scripture with people but Unfortunately, with hell, it seems like let's throw a proof text here, proof text there, and that's, right. that's the conversation over. Um, well, why not? Let's dig into this like we would yep. with any other disciple and, and talk about it. So I, I'm very grateful that I haven't had that pushback. I've been allowed to give a seminar in, a, in someone else's church as well, a local one. Uh, another New Frontiers church, they were very happy to, to receive me. And so brilliant, brilliant. Ha having that opportunity has been really... I've been really grateful for it, and I've also had <laughs> a couple of times where someone's like, "I know you've got a controversial view of hell, Phil. We've got we're on a drive somewhere, and they go, so tell me about it.' And I tell them in 15 minutes, and they go, "Oh, I, th I thought that was the that was what the Bible said anyway." <laughs> so, so oh, that was what else should we talk about then? So <laughs> there, there have been one or two of those uh, responses as well, which is quite nice. But I think that that no platforming and that engagement is still there; it's underlying. And there are still people with significant platforms that are favourable to conditionalism but won't speak about it because they know of the impact yeah. that it could have on their... Yeah, you're right. You're right. Their, their following. So it is a, it is a frustration. Um, so as we continue then the, the sort of conversation, so the church, yeah, there's a long history all the way back to Irenaeus, uh, Athanasius is another one, 
the the this isn't just a sudden new idea that's no, no. up. It's a minority um, idea, but it's not a new one. Yeah, that's it's definitely not new. And we've got there's some really substantial uh, people that have come to this view. Um, and so from that, let's it's probably a bit of a, a gear change. Maybe your your relationship with the church we've talked about a bit. How has this impacted your evangelism then and your engagement with with non Christians? Okay, well, just a little bit more about me. I, I when I was younger, when I was sixteen, I started. Uh, I was I've always been evangelistic, but but I, I started um, reaching out to people like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and things like that. And um, in one, I was worried when I changed my view. I was worried that the Jehovah's Witnesses might taunt me for it, because uh, it. It appears that I seem to have accepted what they say is right. So I, I just want to take a minute to say, no, no, it is not. The, what we believe, Phil, is not the same as what Absolutely. Jehovah's Witnesses yeah. believe. Yeah. First thing is the Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe there is anything outside of the physical body. To be blunt, they don't believe in a soul or a spirit. Right? Spirit is just breath. Um and the soul is a description of the person. Now, some of that you, you can see is biblical, but um, you can't get away from the fact that we are not just a body. Classic verse, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, absent from the body. What we learn from that is it is possible to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. That's what it says in that verse. Um, and then it, in Philippians 1, 23, depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And in Revelation 6, it talks about the souls under the altar, right? So the Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in any of that, and we, but we do. And I, I came, even though I changed my view on hell, being eternal and conscious, to being not eternal and uh, ending eventually in destruction and death, that is significant of enough difference with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, they only believe in extinction. Um, uh, and it's when you die. You die, that's it, gone, bye. Um, and there is no intermediate state. You know, we as Christians, even even though evangelicals often completely um, uh, lose the second coming and the resurrection, and they think that when you die, you've gone to be with Jesus, and that's it. No, it's not. That's incomplete. You are unclothed. It's not what the purpose and plan of God is. There's going to be resurrection. So um, for the Jehovah's Witnesses, there's no intermediate, no in-between. Uh, so there are significant and massive differences between what we believe and what uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Um, but so that did impact the way I talked to cultists and things. And I didn't make hell an issue. Uh, it, you know, there are far more important issues. Who Jesus is, did he bodily rise from the dead? Uh, is, he, is he God and man? So... My engagement with non-Christians of that type uh, certainly did change, but in the sense that it focused me, and I didn't—I I didn't treat hell as a particularly massive thing to have a go at. Um, the, the, um, in, in terms of how I viewed evangelism after that date, well, the biggest thing for me was that because I came to believe that the gospel is about Jesus, it's not about, you know, 
The good news is you can go to heaven, not hell. That's not the gospel. That's really, you won't that's find really anybody true. saying any nonsense like that at all. Mm-hmm. It's about yeah. Jesus. And when people say to me, so what's the gospel then, JT? What's the gospel? And I'll say, well, the gospel is Jesus has risen from the dead and he is now Lord of all. You can expand it. You can fill it out a bit. But that's what the gospel is. We are to tell people about Jesus. So for me, the losing of the hell thing and making that a big issue did cause me to focus more on who Jesus is uh, and um, his resurrection from the dead as being the proof. Um, I, I say to people now, look, uh, skeptics and things, I'll say, I'll say, look, there's only one question you need to ask. They might be raising something about uh, why was God so cruel in the Old Testament or or what about evolution and creation? These these make me yawn because <laughs> yeah. they're not important, right? Yeah, they're not they're important. Same. I, I know other people think they are, but I don't, right? Mm. And I, I say to skeptics, I say, look, I want to save you some breath. I want to save you some time. I want to save you some effort. There is only one question for you to go searching after the answer. Would you like me to tell you? And um, yeah, say, so yeah, 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 go on, go on. I said, it's, did Jesus rise from the dead? If it's true, he did, it's true. If he didn't, just forget what every Christian ever says to you. It's not that hard. And so in one sense, it did help me focus on Jesus, not consequences or benefits or whatever of the gospel. It's the core of what the gospel is. And then when, like I've debated, I've debated people on TV, I've debated people on radio and in pub corners in all sorts of places. Um and one of the things they always come up with is this idea that, you know, God has created hell to punish people forever and ever. I said, oh, I said, it's, it's, God didn't create hell to punish people. The Bible tells us what he created hell for and who he created hell for, and it wasn't for you. The fact is, there is no difference between the genuine, real Christian view of the judgment of God uh, from uh, a train that's hurtling at 125 miles an hour to a broken bridge. Everybody is out telling the guy to stop. Look, there's a broken bridge. You're going to go off the edge. You're all going to die. You stop the train now. You must do it. Listen to what we're saying. This is really important. And they don't pay a blind bit of attention. They go right off the cliff and they all die. That's, that is the, and the, the, the people shouting and screaming did not create the the bridge that was broken or the thousand foot drop at the end and neither did god create hell for that purpose the fact the natural course of events is of people if people ignore him if they keep excluding him if they keep closing him down mocking at him lying about him parodying parodying what he says and does well you're not going to be rescued because you're not reaching out so that that's helped a bit. Um, that's really and, that's really interesting. Uh, uh, just uh, before you carry on, sorry. Just, yeah. Just to I gotta stop that, preaching here, Phil. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's good. I, it's such. Uh, for, for me, it's, it's so good to. Uh, the whole aim of this project is not just to talk about hell, but also to point people to Jesus. So I'm glad that you're doing that. You're doing right. a great job. I can't and, help. Uh, I can't help it. <laughs> because that's that's exactly what's happened to me through. There's been a number of things that have sort of focused, as you put it, to because of this understanding of what Jesus has done for us, that it's about life or death, that our state in rejecting God, you've got that whole idea of Ephesians 2, that we are walking under a death sentence, 
but Christ has taken that death for us if we cling on to him and we are clothed in him so using that as a, a, a simplifying of our language that when I talk to someone who's not been brought up in the faith for example and not left it and uh, they have no concept of the gospel I can use language that they understand it's life or death and by death I mean death I mean as a Christian and, and I understand theology I'm also talking mm. about the second death but I don't see John qualifying second death as something different from the first so why should we and and then we've got this idea of well God wants you to be part of him but we are all in this state that rejects him we are all in this state that if we to enter in the full presence of the God of God we would be like the Israelites the stiff-necked people that would be consumed by him we can't yeah. do it without dying and so our wage is our sin <laughs> and the wages of our sin is mm. death and, and, and so yeah that's it and death is not death is death right mm -hmm. it's yeah. not a different it's form a of life yeah <laughs> which is what yeah. eternal conscious torment people are saying death mm -hmm. is not death no 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 it's a different form of life yeah ah, don't make any sense yeah. so i just got a question here asking for a bit of clarity i'm still not clear on whether you believe that there is punishment period or no punishment period at all okay so that, there was a question before you've got a friend on here i think who says hi rob uh, rob uh, sorry rob lee has said hi john hi john on there uh and uh, <laughs> so uh, he's, um, they're asking basically, is there punishment through yeah. uh, the inter at, at any point? Is there punishment in Hades? Is there punishment, or, or what is the punishment? Maybe we can yeah, clarify there is, that. Okay, a few quick points then. Number one, yes, there are grades of punishment. Jesus talks about that, Luke 12, if I remember correctly. Um, but also, the destruction in hell, Revelation 20. Um, will eventually lead to destruction. But between now and then, there is, uh, 2 Peter 2 verse 9 is relevant, that God knows how to hold people until judgment day. And that's what Hades acts as. And if, if Luke 16 is to be taken in any sense literally, there is some kind of punishment going on. So Luke 16 is the power of the rich man and Lazarus. Um, the... The I don't believe in you die, you're destroyed. Uh, there is both a period in for non-believers, a period in Hades, uh, and uh, being thrown into the lake of fire. Now, whether the punishment takes place entirely in Hades or partly in the lake of fire, I don't know, I don't care. All I do know is that there will be punishment, which is fair and which is just, because if, if you know, that passage in Acts 17 talks about uh, justice and fairness, for some people, going to court will involve uh, getting justice. People who stole that from your house, they go to jail. And for other people, uh, it's punishment um, because of what they've done wrong. And so that's what I believe judgment will do. Um, and whether that's through Sheol or actually on Judgment Day and the Lake of Fire where there will be a period of punishment and then total destruction. So I don't, I don't believe in no punishment. Yeah, I think, I think I'd agree with that. I, I do like to clarify what punishment is, though. I, I think the, 
I think we often understand punishment, at least in the West, and I, I'm not, I try not to assume where people are from when they're writing these questions, but uh, I think we assume punishment to be a physical suffering that we must experience. Uh, and though in some senses that may well be true, I think there's not necessarily the whole picture of what punishment is. The punishment that Christ took for us is death. So death in itself is a punishment. Whether or not there's a torment and agony, a personal suffering that goes to that death, uh, I think that can be wrestled with and wrangled with. Um, I I think, like you said, there are parables that talk about degrees of suffering and beatings. So I'm I'm open to that being, and like you, whether that's Hades or in the lead-up to their destruction, where that fits, I'm sort of open to. Um, But in that uh, there's, there's something that uh, Chris Date, I think, talks about, and he's the death is the punishment, but how that death occurs can be varying in degrees. So it could be the lethal injection is painless, or it could be, I don't know, uh, a slightly elongated form of, of suffering. It's going to be death, and it's going to end, and it may well be violent, with the language and pictures that we have do include that. But there is also an element of ongoing shame that we miss out in the West, we don't un- quite understand the power that would have had it to the original listeners, uh, unless you've got a background sure. in uh, shame, honour that uh, I'm not sure of. But you may find it in in your travels to to Africa. I think there yeah, was stronger. There was in my background in, in Papua New Guinea that I'm only just starting to explore. But the the idea of shame and a loss of legacy is a huge punishment. And so the phrase of uh, like Psalm 37, where it says the wicked will be no more, the idea of never having been born, it's worse for you to have lived and then your legacy to be wickedness than to, to have not yeah, been yeah. born at all. Those, those punishments are also to be considered as punishment, mm. not just a violence like a smacked wrist or a, yeah. a, a pain experience. Um so that would be my response. So do you have anything else to add on that? Just to say that there, there are differences uh, between mm. conditionalists, nuances mm. of, of belief, the same as there are with uh, ECT, eternal conscious torment people. Yeah, you know, there are variations. I will say this, though. Um, there was a particular woman who left the church because um, I didn't believe in hell, which, of course, is, I will say it again, is not true. I do believe in hell. Um, but she said, how how are people going to be saved if we don't preach hell like we used to? Um, and I think to myself, what an unworthy reason to come to faith in Jesus, whether it's fear of hell or whether it's the fear of the rapture, which I used to use. I used to believe that when I was younger. I used to use it to get all sorts of youngsters to become Christians. Um, When we have the most magnificent reason for people to come to faith and to be disciples, and that reason is Jesus who is Lord of all and his resurrection from the dead. Much better gospel, much better reason to base our evangelism on. and we don't even have to scare the living daylights out of people. Do you know, Phil? It's really important. There are churches, particularly in America, God bless America, that's what I say, some of the best Christians and some of the not-so-best Christians I've met are from America. But they do things called hell houses. Did you know that? I've, I've heard Where they, that. They create yeah. a horror house 
with you know demons and screaming and shouting and darkness for people to experience what a hell is and then they become christians at the, the end repeat after me this prayer god help us that's what i say that's, <laughs> that's, that's hell. awful that's not that's not the evangelism <laughs> that i, I would uh, encourage and uh, definitely something that i would love to see uh, removed from any form of christianity if possible yeah absolutely um given that uh, the variation i just want to emphasize that there is variation within the traditional view as well uh, and you talk yeah. to you listen to c.s lewis and tim keller they've got a very different understanding of what eternal punishment or eternal torment looks like yeah and it's almost more self-inflicted than say a jonathan edwards type sermon of yeah uh, sinners in the hands of an angry god so we as conditionists often get accused of variations of views that mean that we don't actually understand the bible but i think on the whole i think as, as conditionists we're, we're very clear that it's death we're very clear that it ends and we're very clear that there's eternal punishment we're very clear that the bible teaches that yeah, yeah. Um, where the variation occurs is where there is actually nuance within scripture that is still open to debate like well, Luke right. 16 and uh those those other passages that are, are definitely a little bit more vague um and a little bit more actually do we need to <laughs> wrestle well, what the, do we do we need to dig into this the bible is far less obsessed with what happens after death than we are mm. and i i think it is a, a wise policy where the bible doesn't say much we shouldn't say much and um the the creation of i, I remember what a really good guy he was he was a, a real evangelist but quite a big sort of ministry you would travel around and he created almost like um, a geography of the underworld. I mentioned Tartarus, the plains of Tartarus, and and he would talk about this underworld thing going on. And I said, no, 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 that's Greek myth, man. Come on, that's not that's not the Bible. We don't need that sort of stuff. Then there's the idea that there was a battle in hell. That Jesus in some of our songs, you know, Jesus went to hell and had a battle. That is a load of the technical Greek word is toshos. <laughs> English translated as tosh. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's good. I'm going to use that one. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's very much it. I had someone, a guy named Roger Harper came on. I don't know if you, I think you've met Roger. Have you met Roger? He Roger Harper, been, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So he, he would argue that the harrowing of hell is very much a, a literal event that that's, that's there. And so I, I haven't engaged with it that much. So it was a really interesting conversation hearing. He's going to contact me about what I just said then. He's going to yeah, tell Yeah, there you go. But that, that shows the variation. And that's in Hades anyway. That's another conversation. There so we, we can we can pass that one off. So I think just as a sort of summary then of evangelism, there's a couple of questions that I'd like to engage with a bit on the live chat. But for most, most of it, I think an hour is kind of where I try and ease up on the conversation okay. a bit. we can okay. always do a part two because i'm really enjoying our conversation and uh i think we could go on for hours if we wanted so um, it could be possible Phil. Could be. <laughs> it could be i can talk you seem to be able to talk We're, we could go for a while but the the summary then just with evangelism and when you're talking to people uh about christianity so your your top points then how is probably less of what you talk about but has has it ever come up have you had a direct question of do you believe i'm going to hell yeah and, yes, yes and how how do you respond then in that kind of direct instance of you must believe i go to hell yeah well what what a great place 
to correct people's misconceptions about hell. And um, yes, I, I, I get those sorts of comments all the time. Do you believe I'm going to hell? My, my initial response is, I don't know. How much of your life have you got left to live here? What choices are you going to make tomorrow morning or after this conversation or even now? So I, I and I'll say, look, the issue of whether you will end up in hell depends on your relationship with Jesus, not your relationship with me um, or with anything else. So I, tr I always try and steer the conversation around to Jesus. I said, you know, have you, have you, in, I say to them, have you investigated the evidence for Jesus and his resurrection from the dead? So you're there, you're there straight away. And you're not going to be going on about this, that, another weird story about hell that's going around. You're, you're there right at the center of the gospel. I do the, I've got to be honest, I do the same with, you know, do you believe in creation or evolution? I say, why is that of any importance at all? I say, and then I go into the bit about, you know, I want to save you some energy, time and effort. <laughs> Jesus I think that's great, and I, I think that's a fantastic point to, to lead on. I, I think that's, again, as I said, something that I really hope that this channel, every time I do a video, I hope at some point they hear a gospel message. And I think that's exactly what you've brought, that the gospel is about Jesus, it's about what he saved us from. It's why I've made, the, I've got a little tagline with this this channel, without Jesus we'd be dead. Uh, I genuinely believe that. Yeah, Jesus yeah. has given us life, he's rescued us from death. And uh, we have this hope of eternity with him. Mm. And and so for me, one of the aspects that I haven't really discussed with you and, and danger of opening up another can of worms is for me, it's clarified the hope of new creation. So oh, come on. What, Don't get what me excited I, now, Phil. <laughs> so th this, is, this is why I, I, I'm becoming more of a geek around the new creation than ever before because of my view of conditionism. And this is just the... The thing for me that what life is going to be in the end is that yeah. it's not going to have this extra realm where some people are tormented and ongoing uh, experience. Uh, no, they're, they're separated from life. They're separated from God. They are no more. And it's this ultimate victory, uh, yeah. this ultimate hope that we have, that new creation, there'll be no more death, no more pain, no more mourning. God will dwell with his people. Sin will be no more. How awesome is that? Uh, and that's that's the hope that we have in Jesus, yeah. that we have this also with all nations coming before the throne of God. And there will be some that reject him. And come they from the north, die. come from the south, come from the yeah. east and west to feast with Abraham in the kingdom of God. Yes. Amen. Yep. Amen. That's, and that's such good news. So... Um, that's that's kind of something that's really clarified for me, and that's also impacted my own evangelism with people. Is that I can I can say life, but it's more than life. Is you're welcomed into this family of the church, even um, and the church, though it's messy, <laughs> it's filled with messy people, and it's broken, and there are, there are glimpses of heaven within that body. Absolutely, and then, and colonies then of heaven. That's what churches are. Yeah, and uh, yeah, broken mirrors at times. So this. It's been a fantastic conversation. So two quick questions then, just to clarify our position a little bit further, because I think they're they're important. Um, I, I might not touch one of them. Rob, Rob has asked quite an, a big one. Rob, I'm just going to point you to an article that I've written on my website. I'll try and put it into the description uh, about sin and why it deserves death. There's a specific question. What do you think of original sin? Uh, are babies who die going to destruction? 
Um, I'm, do you have a, a two-minute response to that, John? Yeah, yeah well, yeah, two-minute response would be, uh, who am I to say? That's the first one. Secondly, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Not mm -hmm. right as we think it, but really right. Do we trust him to do what is right? And um, that would apply to people who've never heard the gospel, never had a chance to respond. There are indications in Romans 1 that that he will take into account what they are responding to, what they do know. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm not, original sin is not a key feature of my belief structure. Um, and we are only sinners because we sin. Not because we inherited anything. There's right, a difference. Yeah. Romans 5. Um, we die, will die, because we sin. Not because we inherited anything. That think, was mildly yeah. controversial, Phil. Yeah, that, that was mildly controversial. That was interesting. <laughs> we, we have to... Uh, yeah, that may be another conversation another time. So I, I think, that, yeah, my my understanding would be similar in the sense that we are responsible for the actions we have or, or make. Uh, the incidents with babies, I suppose, is, is a little bit unclear, and I agree that we'll, we'll not the judge of all do right. Um, and, and so I'd be hesitant to... Uh, give a affirmative or negative directly but where where i lean in that is that sin is uh the state of the world the corruption of the world as well as our own actions so there's sort of two two parts that we have to sin and we often miss the fact it's the, the corruption of the world is the state the world is in so we're inclined to be tempted to sin because it's all around us and we are that's that's a part of who who we are or what we're faced with um and it's a, it's a bigger conversation so i please do see my article as to how i define sin both in our, our actions but also in the state of the world and the new creation is where sin will be no more and uh, as for babies Amen. i think i think salvation is also a bit bigger than just saying a prayer as john has insinuated and uh, and so well the salvation of babies i will leave to jesus but i do believe he will do right and i believe the time, will come when will, the time will come when he will restore everything. That's Acts chapter 3, 21. Uh, and I believe that. And in fact, in my book on the gospel and the one I've just written on the kingdom of God, I, I, I do a big piece on new creation and the size of the gospel. The gospel is not just individual salvation or you know, Jesus fitting in my top pocket. The gospel is the restoration of all things, which is quite exciting. That is, that's good. So, final question for you, and it's, it's another big one, but I think it's really interesting with regards to our conversation on hell. Uh, practical faith is answered in the live chat. What is your view of the atonement, and is it affected by your view of hell, or vice versa? Okay. Um, atonement is a way of understanding the impact of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The most widespread it's not part of the gospel. Uh, when you know, when you when you read when you read what the first Christians preached, they didn't talk about atonement theories or this, that, and the other. They certainly didn't talk about courtrooms and imputation of righteousness and those sorts of things. So the listener uh, will probably guess where I might be coming from. I believe that the simplest biblical explanation of how God, through Jesus, puts things right, is what is commonly known as Christus Victor which is Jesus the winner. 
and I believe the emphasis on the Lordship of Jesus and the resurrection is the best atonement explanation. Now, the most widespread explanation is what is known as um, penal substitutionary atonement, PSA. And um, I think it is probably the most abused, most misused and badly explained um, piece of biblical data. And you often get the impression that God the Father is a real nasty pasty and Jesus is a goodie. And that's how it's often explained and explained very badly. Uh, I do believe in an element of PSA, but I don't believe it should be up front and centre in our explanation of the gospel. I've, um, I probably hold to PSA. I would also be very careful as to how that looks with regard to God punishing the Son and the language of God bruising the Son. Um, and the the language that Zechariah uses is they have pierced him. The the people will look on him and they will yeah. pierced him. Uh, and in Acts as well is that reference of you have killed the author of life. Um, so the the language we use is important, but there is a very clear theme throughout um, scripture of substitutionary atonement, that death for death, and uh, I, I see that in in Jesus's death, and is is taking our sin, paying the wage of it in his death, and giving us life because he is resurrected bodily, um, as per one Corinthians fifteen, my favourite chapter which has been made clear more clear by my view of conditionalism as well uh, death where is your sting where is your victory uh, and we've, we, we can chant, chant that now because there is going to be a time when no more death uh, it, it, that's that's awesome news I, I love that so um so i think with that in mind uh, i i would agree that the varying i find this often happens to me i i seem to hold sit in the middle on a lot of theological debates i think the Bible holds things in tension, and so when we have things like Christus Victor versus PSA, I think that's where we got a problem. I think it can be both. Christ is victorious, he's taken our death. Uh, I'm happy with both, and I, I think uh, the Bible is big enough to handle that. That's a both and rather than a either or. Um, yeah. So... Joe, I just want to say thank you so much for this conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed hearing your story and getting to know you a bit. And um, maybe we can do this a little bit more and maybe dig into scripture. Yeah, a bit more. yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, just out of curiosity, are you going to have one of your booklets? Is there going to be one on God's judgment? On what? God's judgment. Oh, uh, well, there's going to be a booklet on heaven and hell. Ah, there uh, you go. The next, the next one I'm going to write which will be the eighth booklet, will be understanding what happens after death. And the one after that will be on heaven and hell. Fantastic. I look forward to reading them. And maybe okay. we can we can uh, have a conversation when that's written and uh, it'll be another chance to share them. And and I, I, are you getting much take up on them? Are you getting good, good interactions with them? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, in fact, the publisher hasn't done any big publicity yet. He's waiting until there are about six... Uh, or more booklets out and there's only four out at the moment there's another two soon to be published and then one probably in june that would make it seven so but i am getting a lot of response my you know obviously i give a lot of them away in africa um 
I prefer people to buy them. You can get them at a discount price for two quid. If they buy them off of me, you get them at two quid. And then that pays for one for Africa. You yeah. know? Um, good. Yeah, but but at the moment, there's only digital. So you can get them for two quid on digital. But oh, the cool. uh, I, I'm getting a, you know, um, a, a lot of them are shifting. The Trinity one is on the verge of being reprinted. Oh, fantastic. I, I, I might get my hands on a, a couple of copies. So my, my work when I'm back from furlough, which will be in the next week, uh, yeah. I work for Friends International. So using that sort of thing. Oh, for Friends Inter- with, I did a conference yeah. for Friends International. Oh, did you? Oh, right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good fun. I, I enjoy it. But I do meet a lot of people who have no experience at all of Christianity. And so this language of life and death is really helpful. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'll get, get my hands on a couple of those. And... Uh, See how they they come well, along. At, so. at the moment, I think you can only order digital. If you send me your uh, landline address, snail mail address, yep, we'll work something out. Cool. Well, I'll be in touch. But uh, so we've got so thanks guys for watching. So we've got Michael in New Zealand. He's got a great YouTube channel as well. Uh, with he's also a conditionalist that I've come across. Thanks for watching, and same to Jay Jabini. Who did have a chuckle at your uh, your 25 years old comment? Uh, so um, I thought that was quite. <laughs> I know that so... guy. He's a bad man. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so yeah, thank you guys for watching. Thank you, witness for Jesus as well, and thank you for the questions. It's helped us keep the conversation going, and uh, really enjoyed spending time. And uh, God bless you and your ministry. And we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Uh, I'll just sign off, but um, I'll I'll see you in Skype in a minute. (laughs) So thank you, guys. This has been The Hell Project. I'm Phil Dunkoff, and this is where I defend the view that without Jesus, we're all dead. I'm going to finish up, but do check back on the channel. I'm doing a study with Darren Clark from Rethinking Hell Ministries uh, on the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be back here on Monday uh, next week. And then on my website, I'm doing a study of Revelation, which is sort of the groundwork for a series uh, of videos that i'm going to be doing in the future i have no idea when because it's taking me weeks just to do chapter one there's so much theology in there i'm quite excited about it so watch the space watch this space for more and uh, again if you have specific questions that you'd like me to engage with or people that you'd like me to engage with please do get in touch you can find my website thehellproject.online or my email is thehellproject19 at gmail.com. I really appreciate you watching, and uh, take care. We'll see you all soon. Thank you for listening, and I want to know what you think. Do you get in touch? As I said at the beginning of this podcast, you can do that through uh, Twitter, my youtube channel but i also have the scripts and free resources and other studies that i'm continuing to engage with at uh, thehellproject.online thank you so much for listening if you'd like to support the channel and uh, the show in any way please do go into the description of this episode and you can find a paypal link otherwise i do this all for free and i hope you found it helpful god bless you see you later